0: at fbcaa.org live. We want to thank you for listening and pray that you will be edified. Join us now as Pastor Postiff opens God's Word. You turn your Bibles to the Psalms tonight, please. We're going to take a break here for a moment from the Gospel of Matthew. We spent a goodly amount of time there. And I'm going to address a question that I received a few days ago with this message. It's starting in Psalm 84, and then we'll move to another psalm after that. We have a few minutes to spend here in the Word, and I trust that this will be an encouragement to you. The title of the message is A Valley of Weeping? Question mark? Question mark. A Valley of Weeping? And uh, we'll see that God brings His people through times of weeping and then allows them a time to give thanks to Him. The question w- was raised to me about Psalm 84. And uh, if you have your Bibles there and can follow along in Psalm 84, I just want to read it. I'll read the question and then I'll read the psalm and then we'll see. Uh, what we can uh, discern and and ascertain from this. The question was this. I was told that the Valley of Baca, okay, this is in verse number six, as they pass through the Valley of Baca. Uh, In fact, uh, I was just looking at my cross-references here. Interesting, they come up with a cross-reference that I will uh, not follow in just a moment. But the question is, again, I was told that the Valley of Baca meant the Valley of Weeping. We have some dear church members who are going through the valley of weeping now and understanding that psalm would help us to minister to them. Here's the psalm. It's to, to the chief musician on an instrument of gath, a psalm of the sons of Korah. And then it says this, How lovely is your tabernacle, O Lord of hosts! My soul longs, yes, even faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Even the sparrow has found a home, and the swallow, a nest for herself, where she may lay her young. Even your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house, they will still be praising you. Selah. Blessed is the man whose strength is in you, whose heart is set on pilgrimage. As they pass through the valley of Baca, they make it a spring. The rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. O Lord God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob, Selah. O God, behold our shield, and look upon the face of your anointed, for for a day in your courts is better than a thousand, I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. That's the favorite verse of Chuck Allen, you might remember. He would say that often. Verse 11, for the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the man who trusts in you. Well, that's a great encouragement, isn't it? Psalm 84 is generally categorized as a praise hymn and a song of Zion. Now, the first of those is um, fairly easy to see, that this is praising God, telling Him how you long, uh, you, I mean the the Jewish person, the pilgrim, how He longs to be with God in His temple and to enjoy the place there, even kind of... um, coveting the position of the sparrow and the, and the swallow who have a home there at the house of God. Can you imagine that, that you could live right on the temple, in the temple, and be so close to God in that, in that era? Um, and then the Song of Zion, is, uh, it's called that because it's speaking about Jerusalem, about the city of Zion, about the dwelling place of God. The focus is on God's tabernacle or temple and the joy that the people have being around it, wanting to be there and traveling there during the feasts. You remember how they would um, travel uh, thrice annually to the uh, temple to give offerings or the tabernacle before that, of course, to give their offerings and the fellowship meals and things. The place of the temple represents to them God himself and his goodness in the midst of the people of Israel. Uh, he dwelt there. He made his special place of dwelling in that location. And of course, we know that today that's not a an issue because, like Jesus said in John chapter four, not it's not going to be in this mountain or that mountain or any particular place where you have to worship God, but you can worship Him in spirit and in truth, anywhere where you are. Now, a literal reading of this text here with regard to the Valley of Baca is that it is a physical place that was on the pilgrimage route to Jerusalem. The faithful would pass by or through that location on their journey. Notice it says, Blessed is the man whose strength is in you, verse 5, whose heart is set on pilgrimage. And then verse 6, As they pass through the valley of Baca, they make it a spring. The rain also covers it with pools. Some translations may have blessings there. So, the uh, the question is, is the valley of Baca the valley of weeping? Let me address that question the best I can here. So uh, uh, for the word Baca, and I, I have the Hebrew here, uh, I won't bother you with that, but it sounds just like that, um, and uh, it's got the, the three letters, the, the B, the C, and the A at the end, and the uh, you, th- you think I've missed an A in the... Middle, but I didn't. It's a, the vowel marking uh, is different than the consonantal letters that are there in the text. So it's really made up of that three three roots, uh, three root letters: the the B, the C, and the A. And then it has the vowel marking for that middle A there. But in any case, it's got um, uh, it's used uh, also in Second Samuel five. And uh, let me just go there right quick and. Uh, share with you second samuel 5:23 and 24 i'm trying to figure out just what does this word mean uh, because it's a valley of baca and it's just been transliterated into english but it doesn't mean weeping well in second samuel chapter 5 verse 23 the text says therefore david inquired of the lord and said and he said you shall not go up now this is about ba- a battle of the, with the philistines and uh, David's inquiring about how to go about this battle. And the Lord says, you shall not go up. Circle around behind them and come up in front of, uh, upon them in front of the mulberry trees. And it shall be when you hear the sound of marching in the tops of the mulberry trees, then you shall advance quickly. For the Lord will go out before you to strike the camp of the Philistines. And so that's what David did. So clearly here, the word that's, used is the word that's translated as mulberry trees, the baka, the bakim, the bokim, okay, uh, clearly refers to a kind of tree or a bush, and some say it's a mulberry tree. Uh, we have several of those on our property uh, at, at, the, uh, at the house, the, or it could be an aspen, or some say a balsam tree, a balsam tree, um, And so that's what the word really means. So is it a valley that has some balsam trees in it or mulberry trees? Certainly seems to be a a likely possibility. Uh, The Baker Encyclopedia of the Bible suggests that it's unknown whether this is a literal place or a symbolic expression of grief or hardship. Now to me, it seems it seems like a literal place. Um, They pass through this valley. And uh, go on their way, and maybe that valley has some some spiritual significance to them. Spurgeon suggests in his Treasury of David commentary on the Psalms that this should be rendered the Valley of Bochim. Well, it's not spelled like that in the Hebrew, so I wouldn't do that. Uh, he's following Judges two one to five, where their people wept. <coughs> excuse me, wept in the Valley of Bochim when the angel of the Lord visited them and told them, look, you guys have disobeyed, and so they wept. Good response when God tells you that you've disobeyed, right, to weep. but um, and, and people do indeed sometimes pass through metaphorical valleys of difficulty. Dr. Yanga just passed through the valley of the shadow of death. So the valley is often... Uh, you know, the, the, the veil, the valley of, of something that's dark maybe. It's, you know, the sun sets very quickly and it becomes dim there. Uh, but metaphorically, it refers to different things. Um, there could be a, a, a valley of decision. Um, Joel has that in chapter 3. What's that? The valley of decision is a physical place, but the more important part of the idea is that it's a valley where God is going to make a decision about His people. It's a judgment. And then you have one other example of valleys that are important in Scripture that aren't literal valleys, but it says, every valley shall be exalted and every mountain and hill be brought low. John the Baptist, using Isaiah 40 in verse number 4, it's the idea of smoothing the road for royalty that's coming in, making a path straight. But the main issue is not topographical. What's the main issue in John's ministry? Repent, yeah, it's, it's a spiritual topography. The road is crooked, needs to be made straight. The life needs to be made straight with salvation. Um, so certainly metaphorical valleys are known in Scripture. But the Hebrew word for weeping, though it sounds exactly the same, is spelled with a different third letter. The third letter is not the little A at the end of baka. It's the, it's the letter H, a soft H in Hebrew. And so it's different than this, and so that kind of leans me away from this weeping um, notion. A second, and so that's kind of the main reason, the first reason why I would hesitate to take this interpretation. The second reason is that the psalm, uh, well, to try to use the psalm as a comfort to those who are weeping is that the message of the psalm is one of praise and triumph. Notice, if you will, um, let's see if we can uh, find it here. Trouble is, I looked at a different Bible when I was studying it, so then to find the exact same thing on the same place in the page is a lost cause. Um, it's, it's, t- it's, it's telling us that, you know, you're going from strength to strength, from, uh, from praise and triumph. You're not moving from a position of weakness to a position of strength. Maybe you're moving from a position of being far away from the temple of God and you're trying to get closer to it, but that doesn't mean that you're in a bad state. Now, maybe, so you get my point, what I'm saying is this psalm is more triumphant than it is talking a lot about weeping. Um, And so eh, I'm not so sure that it fits too well. If If this is the valley of weeping, I don't know that you want to make a big deal about it because the passage doesn't make a big deal about weeping here. It's a lot of triumphant, joyful, happy kinds of things. Now, the message of the psalm suggests that although the location may in the past history have been a place of mourning, in this situation, it's not a place of weeping because the pilgrims are passing through it and anticipating a joyful reunion with God at the temple as they serve him in the sacrifices and the fellowship meals and with the Levites and the priests. So, I'm not convinced that's the best one to use for that purpose, although we know that there are these metaphorical valleys. But let me suggest an alternative psalm in the next half of our message that would better fit the need for comfort in the times of difficulty. And this psalm is Psalm 30, if you would turn there to Psalm 30. I guess what I'm doing here is giving an example of how, you know, you can teach something that is true enough, but you might base it on an, a passage that's not ideal. Psalm 84, I'm suggesting, is not ideal. It's not ideal to focus there in that, in that praise hymn and Song of Zion to focus on the uh, mourning uh, feature. But let's look at Psalm 30. And Psalm 30 is a thanksgiving psalm written by David. And it seems to be an individual Thanksgiving psalm. Now, I'm reflecting on studies that I've done over the years on the psalms starting back about eight years ago. And when I give these categories, I've, what I've done is I've read through all the psalms and used some other resources to try to categorize them. For instance, many psalms are lamentations. Some are wisdom psalms. Some sing about the king of Israel, like Psalm 2 is a kingship psalm. I've, I've set my king in my holy hill of Zion, and nobody's going to oppose him. And if they do, I'll laugh at them. You know, that, you have um, Thanksgiving psalms. You have, uh, and, then, and then, of course, there's another kind of category, and that is, well, Thanksgiving from whose perspective? Well, it could be David giving thanks, or it could be the nation as a whole giving thanks. So uh, in this case, it's an individual thanksgiving, not a national thanksgiving psalm. Although, of course, David is calling his people to follow his example of singing praise and remembering God. So let's read these uh, few verses here, Psalm 30, a psalm, a song at the dedication of the house of David. And it says, "'I will extol you, O Lord, for you have lifted me up and have not let my foes rejoice over me. O Lord, my God, I cried out to you and you healed me. O Lord, you brought my soul up from the grave.' You have kept me alive that I should not go down to the pit. Sing praise to the Lord, ye saints of His, and give thanks at the remembrance of His holy name. For His anger is but for a moment, His favor is for life. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. This is why I picked Psalm 30, because of the weeping theme. Now in my prosperity, I said, I shall never be moved. Lord, by your favor, you have made my mountain stand strong. You hid your face, and I was troubled. I cried out to you, O Lord, and to the Lord I made supplication. What profit is there in my blood when I go down to the pit? Will the dust praise you? Will it declare your truth? Hear, O Lord, and have mercy on me. Lord, be my helper. You have turned for me my mourning into dancing. You have put off my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness. To the end that my glory may sing praise to you and not be silent. O Lord my God, I will give thanks to you forever. The psalm offers thanks to God's, uh, for God's aid in moving from a situation of great difficulty to a situation of blessing. Now, this is an often used pattern in the psalms. Many of the 150 psalms follow this general pattern where you have a lament and then the person realizes, hey, God's delivering me from this lamentation, and and then he ends up giving thanks by the end of the psalm. In this particular case, the psalm iterates back and forth between difficulties and God's deliverance. Let me illustrate that for you with eight different pairs of statements that happen in the psalm. The psalmist says, you have not let my foes rejoice over me. So the foes were a big problem for him. But instead, on the blessing side of the ledger, you have lifted me up. So the foes were trying to bring him down, but you have lifted me up. He says, you brought up my soul from the grave. So the grave was uh, you know, trying to get its tentacles into him. And then on the other side, he says, you healed me. So I was going down, but you healed me. Uh, Why, you know, what should happen if I should go down into the pit? You kept me alive. His anger is but for a moment, the psalmist writes, but his favor is for life. Notice this one. Here's kind of the core one for us. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. You hid your face. I was troubled, but then... I shall never be moved. Second to last one on my list, you have turned my mourning into dancing. Boy, think of the difference between those two things. You have put off my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness. Does that say that in that psalm? Can you imagine being in the depth of despair, being in despondency, being in difficulty. And then in verse 11, you put off my sackcloth and you clothed me with gladness. David writing at the dedication of of his house. um, It doesn't say the temple. It says the house of David there. So I I suspect it may be just his house. I initially just kind of read that too quickly and thought maybe that was the temple. But uh, in any case... Uh, He ends by saying in the end of verse 12, O Lord my God, I will give thanks to you forever, forever, forever. Paul echoes that when he says in 1 Thessalonians 5.18, in everything give thanks, in everything. So... The short message I'm pulling from this psalm is that rehearsing the Lord's faithfulness in the lives of God's people in times of difficulty is a uh, real help and encouragement to those who are afflicted by hardship. Remember, you can say weeping lasts tonight, but God will bring joy in the morning. It may not be in the physical morning at 7 a.m., but it may be, it'll may it be after the night of weeping. Yes? Uh, we're not talking about a uh, you know a space of hours here, maybe a space of days or even weeks or something like that. But God will bring uh, joy in the morning, and you can add to this if you're needing to comfort somebody in your church family. Second uh, Corinthians one three and four that talks about the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who's able to comfort you with a comfort that can't be found anywhere else so that you can, with the comfort that you have received, comfort other people. You have had a certain kind of trial. God can help you minister to others who have had that kind of trial or other ones. First uh, 1 Thessalonians 4.18 says, Comfort one another with these words about the rapture and the, the fact that the, the dead in Christ are not lost. 1 Thessalonians 5.11, general comfort taught there. Romans 15.5, God is again described as the God of comfort. So may God bring comfort to all those who are in distress in our churches. And remember, too, that it's not just portions of Scripture that we read and apply with the help of God's Spirit that bring comfort. That is the case, and hopefully you are opening your Bible when you're in times of despair and you're reading and you're receiving comfort. But God often uses believing people to bring comfort to others in the church family. He uses the preaching of the Word by our Bible teachers. God uses the presence of encouraging people. He uses the service of dedicated helpers, the gifts of generous givers, and the prayers of the saints. All of these different ways help those in need to make it through their difficult times. So remember... Uh, although I don't think the valley of Baca is the valley of weeping, you may be passing through a valley of weeping, but know that on the other side in the morning comes joy and God will help you to give him thanks forever. May God give you comfort. If you need it tonight, some of you are facing difficult trials, griefs that are still not fully processed, and God is able to help you to address those with his comforts. Think of Psalm thirty and the transition from low to high, from weeping to joy, from mourning to thanksgiving, and hopefully that will give you heart and encourage you and strengthen you in the midst of those trials that you face. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to the conclusion of our night together, asking that you will bless the time that we have shared in the Word in Psalm 84 and Psalm 30, And, uh, Lord, uh, although we may not have found the message that we needed in the the 84th Psalm, we found something useful there, and we also found something that we needed in Psalm 30. God, take these uh, two messages, uh, this two-part message, really, and and strengthen us and encourage us, teach us, and uh, help us to help others. Uh, Lord, any that are in grief tonight, Lord, give them peace. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right. Well, a little devotion for you there from the Psalms, and I trust that you'll have a good night. Thanks for those watching online. I think we have at least a few uh, families, and uh, that's a blessing to know that. So uh, be, uh, be well. Watch the roads. They may be a little bit slick out there with the rain that's been pouring down out there uh, here for the last uh, half hour or more, actually probably 45 minutes. So, um, yeah. Be uh, careful on your way. All right, good night, everybody. God bless.